primary focus in the scripture is in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at chapter 5 and verses 21 through 33. I'll do some setup this morning and then we'll be reading a little bit later from the message version of the Bible, which is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit uh, by Eugene Peterson, wonderful author and writer. As we kind of set things up, you know that we're in a series of messages on what it means to be a member of God's church. Based, the series is based on that little book, I'm a Church Member, by Tom Rainer. And we've taken some of the, the principles in his book and are seeking to apply them as we seek to understand what it means to be a member of God's church in this place at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And today we're going to focus on church and family. What does it mean to lead our family to be productive and effective church members? Because we are all responsible to lead our families to be healthy church members. I I, uh, can say from my own upbringing, we went to church some, but it, it wasn't something that was the number one priority. And I look back and I'm thankful for the experiences that I did have, but I certainly could have been more devoted in my spiritual life as I was, was coming up. There were times where I, I, you know, I didn't want to go and didn't want to be a part of going to church with my family and would work instead. I would find excuses sometimes not to be there. And I look back and wish that I would have made some different decisions. Uh, and I can learn from that. I, I wish that I could stand up today and provide some wonderful biblical examples to you of what it means to be a perfect role model family. Uh, that all we have to do is flip to any given chapter of the Bible and there is a perfect Ward and June cleaver there to help us to understand how to deal with all the problems in the modern day family. I wish we could just open the page they would fall to that perfect biblical family. But as I've studied, by the way, if you're not sure who this family is, just Google Leave it to Beaver, and you'll find that it's an old uh, TV series that many, many of us, uh, when I was growing up, uh, enjoyed to watch. But as I seek to find that perfect, perfect biblical family, unless you can find it, it, it it doesn't exist. I can't find examples of, of family units in the Bible that can be this perfect example. Even Jesus' own family wasn't perfect. You remember when he was 12 and his parents were traveling and then they looked at one another and they were like, well, I thought Jesus was with you. Joseph, I thought Jesus was with you. And they started to look for him and they had to leave and found him back in Jerusalem at the temple. Surely he was there for his father's business, but... Joseph and Mary had no clue that he was missing. Even they, are, they were not the perfect set of parents. Or if we could think about Adam and Eve. They were in a perfect environment, paradise. They had everything that they needed, and yet Adam chose Eve over God. And one pastor writes, men have been choosing women over God ever since. The book of Genesis records the first homicide in the Bible, and it was between two brothers. And then, you know, the Old Testament story about how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery to the Midianites and then reported back to their father that he had been attacked by a wild animal. 
And the first civil war recorded in the Old Testament was between David and one of his sons, Absalom. And I could go on, but the, the Bible is full of examples in perfect families. There are a lot of examples of how not to do family, but there's no perfect family. So often we will say we just need to be a biblical family. And if we are looking for that, it, it's not there. But when we get to the New Testament, we start to see a shift in the way we would understand what it means to be a family that follows biblical principles. And what we see happening as the Apostle Paul begins to take the teachings of Jesus and apply them to family in the church is a radical change in how family was seen and how marriages were viewed and how children were viewed. And often when we read some of the texts in the in, in Paul's writings in particular, we on the surface think that they're old-fashioned and archaic. It's hard for us modern people sometimes to see this truth, but when we look back and see the radical nature of Paul's teachings given the lay of the land, it's amazing. This was a culture when women had little value. They were seen as property. Have you ever wondered what it would be like if you were a female then and you were considered property? Or in the Roman world, where Christianity started, women or children had no real rights or freedoms. Children often went unnamed because of the high percentage of infant mortality. And fathers would often adopt other children who were more responsible so that they could leave their inheritance to them as opposed to their responsible biological children and then Jesus comes on the scene and he preaches a totally different message he says let the little children come to me and that was huge you mean Jesus would actually let children take the place of adults and then the apostle Paul lifts Jesus's teachings and elevates women and children to a place that they had never been before Women and children were given value they had never experienced before in their culture. And in today, in every culture that has embraced Judeo-Christian worldview, women and children have fared better and have suffered less. There are women in countries around the world today who fight against the tenets of their religions for the sake of equality. So when Paul said the things that we are about to read in the book of Ephesians, he gave women hope, but rocked the world of many others in authority. Paul's teachings were based on the truth that Jesus went to the cross and died for all the people, men, women, and children equally. They were all seen as equal heirs of the kingdom of God. And I think that's amazing. So often when we hear these words read, we think that there's an under, over, or uh, an uh, a relationship that one is subservient to the other but Paul says no it's about mutual submission it's about mutual submission loving one another as Christ first loved you but these words began to shape how families in the early Christian church began to operate and this influenced cultures and communities and countries and was that which influenced and continues to influence the movement of, for human freedom and dignity today, especially organizations like the A21 movement, which is 
set out to abolish human trafficking in the 21st century and others. Richmond Justice Initiative and on and on. So we're very thankful for the Christian principles that began to influence the way that families were structured and organized and that infect, uh, affected the, the culture in so many different ways. And it helps us today not to look for a specific family in the Bible as an example of how we're to do family, but it helps us to look at the principles that Christ taught and His disciples shared and people like the Apostle Paul picked up and began to use in his teachings to instruct the leaders in the churches. And that made a tremendous impact and it, it set the church in a direction uh, that, that was not common in the culture in the day. So as we ask the question, how are Christ followers to lead their families to be healthy church members, we, we look first at modeling Christ's unconditional love in the home. That you and I can look at Jesus and we can model his unconditional love in the home. It begins in our families. Just as we are called to love one another in the Christian family, so are we too called to love those in our churches where God has placed us. And I'll be reading from Ephesians 5, if you're following along, verses 21 and following from the message. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife in the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands. Go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his body, does he? No, he feeds, pampers it. That is how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way that Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. These teachings were a reflection of how Jesus viewed family. We also have to love those who are in our churches, despite their imperfections. In our families, we, we've got to teach our kids to love others in our family despite their flaws. And in the Bible, as you go through the Old Testament, there are so many families that had their flaws, but God redeemed those situations, and we can look at them and learn from their situations. And I believe in our families, we have to teach our children not to be judges, not to be judgmental, 
And I love that passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? And I just had this visual of this two by four in my own eye. This, this huge board as I'm trying to get a speck out of my brother's eye. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew 7 verses 3 through 5. This means that we've got to extend grace to our family members and to others who are around us. Just as we have received grace from God, we extend that same grace to others who are around us because His grace is sufficient to us for all times. So we model Christ's unconditional love in the home. That's a way to teach our children. And then second, we can engage in worship regularly as a family. Not only corporate worship, as we are today, but also family worship. And the passage uh, that we have today is, again, Matthew 22, which you've just heard read. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. These words are given to us by Jesus and taken from the Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, which is known as the Shema. Can you say Shema? Shema. Shema means in the Hebrew to hear. And then following Leviticus in chapter 19, verses 18, about loving neighbor. Jesus himself would have been taught these principles from his childhood. And we hear in Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Devout Jews would have taken this literally and they would have small scrolls containing these verses and perhaps some other brief Old Testament passages placed into small containers called phylacteries. And they would be bound to the arm and the, the forearm and to the forehead during times of prayer. And then another a similar container was called the mezuzah and it was set into the doorpost of the Jewish home. And the duty was to educate children in the faith. And every time one would come in or come out of the home, they were reminded of the teachings of God to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, and your strength. Jesus taught these were to be the most important commandments. Both internal worship written on your heart and external worship, uh, corporate worship, and loving neighbor as yourself Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. By engaging in worship as a family, corporate worship, by coming together, and by worshiping in the home. Maybe it's taking the take 30 model that Philip shared just a little earlier that we introduced last week 
and using that at the kitchen table as you begin your day. I don't know what that would look like for you. Maybe you would adapt it in some way. Maybe you have a family devotional. Maybe you have a certain set time that you pray together. Maybe it's in the evening before bedtime. Uh, But worshiping together corporately and worshiping together in the home is family worship. Help to reinforce the basic teachings of the Christian faith and equip our young people to love God and to love neighbor, which is so very important in today's culture. Never underestimate the power and the importance of teaching your children well. Never underestimate the value of teaching them that they can tell you anything, anytime, place. There's a trust that builds when you bring that kind of understanding into your home. Even if your children might make a poor choice They can come to you and they can talk with you about it. Even when they're older and maybe they're in a season of life where they're making some tough decisions and maybe things that you you wouldn't have selected for them, they can remember the foundation and the principles that they received in the home and in the church and it will help them in, in the days that are ahead. Paul McCartney, the singer that was with the Beatles, remembers how his mother taught him and how she was available to him whenever he needed anything. He, he says uh, he remembers uh, a time when he was really struggling. And sometimes he wondered if he would make it. And then one night he had a dream about his mother who died when he was only 14 years old. And in an interview, he said she had been a nurse, my mom, very hardworking, and uh, she, she wanted the best for us. We weren't a well-off family. We didn't have a car. We just about had a television. So both of my parents would go out to work, and my mom contributed a good half to the family income. And at night when she came home, she would cook. So we didn't have a lot of time with each other, but she was, quote, just a very comforting presence in my life. And he could tell her, he could tell her anything. So in this dream, 12 years later, he says his mother appeared and there was her face completely clear, particularly her eyes. And she said to me very gently during his time of trouble, reassuringly, let it be. It was lovely. And he said, I woke up with this great feeling. It was like she had visited me at a very difficult point in my life and gave me this message. Be gentle. Don't fight things. And just go with it, and it will work out. So being a musician, Paul McCartney says that he immediately got up after the dream and started writing the song, and he said it didn't take long, and he wrote the main body in one go, and then the subsequent verses developed from there. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And Mary was his mother's name. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And when all the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see there will be an answer Let it be. 
and later in the song, and when the night is cloudy, there is still a light that shines on me. Shine on till tomorrow, let it be. I wake up to the sound of music. Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. When we find ourselves in times of trouble, no matter what our situation, no matter what our experience, we can come to God and let go and let God. And these are the things that we can teach in the church and in our families. Thanks be to God. Please bow.